Hey Alexa, what's the definition of hustle? To be aggressive, especially in business or other financial dealings. You're listening to the H for Hustle podcast, designed to inspire future entrepreneurs to take the leap from working for someone else to pursue their passions and side hustles and turning them into full-fledged businesses. My name is Jerome Fenton. I'm a serial entrepreneur. Every week, I'll be speaking with an entrepreneur that has taken that leap. We'll be talking about the lessons they've learned and how they've turned their passions and side hustles into full-fledged businesses. H for Hustle Podcast, welcome back. Another illustrious episode up ahead. And on today's episode, we have Colin McIntosh, the founder and CEO of Sheets and Giggles. Um, I know you're thinking, like, what kind of name is Sheets and Giggles? Well, Sheets and Giggles is a high-end luxury betting company. And, man, Colin's story of how he got into this industry is pretty amazing. I don't want to waste too much time. Let's get into it right now. Boom. H for Hustle Podcast, welcome back. We have another illustrious guest on today. Um, so we have Colin McIntosh, the founder of Sheets and Giggles. Colin, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Jerome. I'm really happy to be on it. Um, so, Colin, if I was to meet you at a, a dinner or a wine tasting or whatever, what would you say you do for a living? I sell bed sheets. <laughs> that's, that's what I always say. I, people, are like, what do you do? And I say, and I say, oh, I've I've got a bed sheets company, and they're they're they always double take. They're like, did I bed sheet? I'm like, yeah, you heard you did you heard it right? Yeah, and and and, and then uh, you know, if they're if, tell me about that if they're interested because you know I I like to give people an opt out where they mm-hmm. can just kind of say, all right, that's a, nice to meet you. Um, and then but then I say, what do you mean? Like, what is that? I say, well, it's it's uh, sustainable bedding. We make it out of eucalyptus trees. Uh, we are entering year four of our business. We're actually just recently on Good Morning America. Um, and, uh, it's called Sheets and Giggles. And then that is usually what will lead into like the million questions of like someone and that, and that's a lot of fun, but, um, I always get people to opt out and say, I sell bed sheets. And then they can just be like, okay. And like, okay. turn around and leave. <laughs> like, oh, that guy works yeah. at sleepies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, I we spoke about this briefly, but you know, my wife uh, during the pandemic, she was ordering like crazy, just a bunch of stuff coming to the house, and just like everybody after, yeah. <laughs> and you know, some some stuff came, and then she's like, "I got some new sheets. I heard they were really great." Um, she put them on the bed, and like come nighttime, I'm ready to go to sleep, and it's like, "Whoa, what are these?" I was like, "What are these sheets?" And they felt so cool and soft, and I felt like I was in a hotel in my own house, and I was like, "This is amazing." Um, so what is the fabric that made, what, why are they so uh, soft? Why is the fabric so like soft and feel so cool every time well, I sleep on it? So, and for first off, I'm for your audience, uh, if anybody watching this on video, I'm actually in my bedroom with my comforter and bed sheets behind me and my dog, Harvey, who's our VP of marketing, he's joining the podcast. Um, and so I, I like to do these interviews in the bedroom sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so basically, uh, it's made out of a material called eucalyptus lyle cell, which is uh, what's called cellulosic rayon. So rayon fabric made from cellulose plants. Mm. Um, and so basically, there's three versions of it. <clears throat> the earliest version was bamboo viscose, which a lot of people are familiar with yeah. bamboo, right? The second version is modal. And the third version is lyle cell, which is usually made from eucalyptus trees. Um, and so basically, the, the major improvements from the earlier version is that, and, and it's a similar process for each one. You take wood, you turn it into a pulp, 
you turn that pulp into a fiber and then that fiber uh, becomes a yarn-like thread. And it's really, it's, it's really quite, quite fantastic in the process. And the major difference between bamboo viscose and now eucalyptus lyle cell is that bamboo viscose, you have to use a chemical called carbon sulfide, which is harmful to environments and workers, mm. and you can't reuse it. So you have to dump it after every batch, which, is, which could be really bad depending on the manufacturer. Eucalyptus lyle cell uses no carbon sulfide, uses amine oxide as a solvent instead, which you can also recapture, reuse, and uh, it breaks down harmlessly in environments. So it's a, it's a now a closed loop system when you're talking about the newest version of cellulosic rayon. And so it's widely considered the most sustainable fabric in the world, um, aside from maybe hemp, uh, which is not really suitable for bed sheets. It's a little too rough, right, with mm -hmm. hemp. Um, and, the, and the beautiful part about lyocell is that it's got a lower coefficient of friction than cotton. Uh, it does not pool moisture. It's cooling. They're breathable. Um, and they're just really, really wonderful sheets. And so we, um, I, thanks for letting me talk about it for a second. But um, I think that people, if you look at the home textile market, the breakdown is actually like 60% polyester, yeah. which is which is petrochemical based, right? And it's the number one source of microplastics in our ocean. And human beings are now eating about a credit card's worth of microplastic every week yeah. in our water and in our in our food. Mm -hmm. um, and then cotton is about another 30 or 40% of the home textiles market because it's, a, it's just a massive crop and cotton's always been kind of like the go-to home textile. Um, and so our manufacturing costs are actually three times what cotton are and 10x what polyester is. But we try to price it as competitively as possible and, and beat all the luxury cotton. Do you, think, there. do you think that's the reason why a lot of like larger companies um, won't use eucalyptus? Yes. Because, because yeah. of the cost? It's just the cost. It's, it's a crazy amount of inventory carrying costs. So you know, we, if we, if we produce a million dollars worth of bed sheets, um, you could produce the same amount of cotton for $300,000, or you could produce the same amount of polyester for probably under a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, that, I mean, that's, I mean, that's why polyester is so prevalent everywhere is because you go on Amazon, you search for queen sheets, you'll see 20 options of 20 to 30 to $40 polyester bed sheets, yeah. micro, microfiber, right? And it's just killing us. It's killing us over time. And so, and it never biodegrades, never goes away. So, um, it, you know, it, I understand that people have uh, lower prices are always better, right? I'm a consumer too, but, um, it's really crazy that that's the, that's the main difference, the main reason. And then the other reason is just consumer adoption. So the technological change is one part of the equation whenever you're talking about a new product. Mm -hmm. The bigger part of the equation, in my opinion, is the marketing piece, the behavioral change. Yeah. And so if Americans aren't demanding eucalyptus lyocell or they're still buying polyester or cotton, then there's no reason for Bed Bath & Beyond or Target or Macy's to pull any of their cotton or polyester products off the shelves and replace them with more sustainable products because they're not losing any money over it. So part of what we're doing at Sheets & Giggles is also educating people to at, politely ask companies for more sustainable options. Got it. So changing the buy the the buyer's behavior, the, the buyer's behavior, yeah. yeah. And, and then and then if we can produce, if we when we scale, like we've already been able to lower our prices by a buck or two. But like as you scale, I mean, cotton uses I think one twenty fifth of the world's arable land or the world's farmland, like just by itself as a crop. Wow. Cotton uses yeah, it's it's. And it uses about 20% of the world's insecticides by itself, wow. inclu including neonicotinoids, which are the insecticides that are killing bird and bee populations. And so, um, it, but the th in terms of like the quantity of cotton that's produced, it's an enormous quantity. 
And so that's why you have these really incredible economies of scale. Plus, you have so many people who grow it and who make it that you have competitive pressure across a huge marketplace for really competitive terms. Whereas with eucalyptus lyocell, it's a handful of people that are making the raw materials, handful of people that are making the, the fiber. And so it ends up being a much more, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to say an oligopoly, but it's, it's a smaller marketplace. That's so interesting because as a consumer myself, I've never thought like once I'm finished with these bed sheets, you put them in the garbage, you never think <laughs> that they're never going away. You know, that's uh-huh. something that I uh-huh. think about. It's, it's not like you can donate like that type of stuff. You just usually throw it away after a while, right? So as, as a consumer, you never really think about it. Like that's something that, you know, you just talking now, I'm like, wow, bed sheets don't go away. That's kind of weird. Depends, depends on the material. So our, so our bed sheets biodegrade completely. They're actually certified USDA bio-preferred, wow. which means they're plant-based and, and renewably made. Um, but the, but our sheets will biodegrade. If you put our sheets in a landfill, they'll disappear in nine weeks. So they're wow. gone, no trace. Gone. And so anywhere with a, micro, uh, mi- a microbiome-rich environment will, will uh, biodegrade very quickly. And then uh, polyester ne- never goes away effectively. Um, anything that's petrochemical based addition, you know, polyester, spandex, uh, acrylic, um, you know, there's a bunch of different, uh, petrochemical based synthetics out there. And then cotton will break down. It'll just break down a little bit more slowly, uh, than our, than our sheets. Wow. All right. So you, we're going <laughs> to get back to this, but I want to go back a little bit. What were you doing career wise before you got into, uh, starting sheets and giggles? Uh, not bed sheets. I was, <laughs> I, it's really weird. Everybody always assumes they're like, so do you just, do you like love bed sheets? Do you love like, like, I'm like, now I do like a lot more than I, than I used to. But, um, no, when I, so before this, I, I had a weird career. I, so I started sheets and giggles when I was 27. Uh, I, I turned 31, uh, in a couple months. So or actually next month. Oh, geez. Um, oh, May, so, in May? uh, June 1st. So oh, wow, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. And so, um, I, uh, so I started Cheats and Giggles in my late twenties officially, I guess. And, um, in my twenties, I had a really weird career. I started my career at a company called Bridgewater Associates, which is the world's largest hedge fund in mm-hmm. Connecticut. I got fired in about five months. Um, <laughs> terrible employee. Uh, then I worked at the recruiting firm that ironically had hired me at Bridgewater. So I ended up recruiting for banks, hedge funds, startups. That's when I really got into uh, tech, and I started. I had to recruit a lot of engineers. I had to teach myself everything I know about software engineering. Were you on the recruiting side or on the sales side? I was on the recruiting side. Okay. So, so basically, I, you know, I was a 22, 23 year old kid who could talk well, write well, and who didn't have any career prospects at that point. I'd been fired from my first job, living in New Haven, Connecticut, with no contacts aside from the people that hired me out there. And so they said, "Hey, we like you. Do you want to?" you know, maybe, uh, work for very little pay and see if you can make it as a recruiter. <laughs> and, um, and so I said, yeah, sure. Let's give it a shot. And, and, uh, I didn't hire anybody for about three or four months and that was tough. But, um, after that, that's when I started cooking. That's when I really, I fell in love with the recruiting aspect with changing somebody's life by getting them that job. Um, that phone call is the best phone call. And then there's the a first lot of burnout. placement when you get a, well, just when you call someone, you're like, Hey man, I got great news you got the job and like, right. and you just, you know, you really change somebody's life trajectory. Um, but there's also an equal amount of burnout with recruiting. And so, you know, off you eventually start to see people, unfortunately, as, as not numbers, but just names on a resume. Yeah. 
Um, and, uh, it can be very draining. And, and if you're an empathetic person, it can be hard to continually turn people down uh, in mass. And so about a year after I became a recruiter, I moved out to Seattle. Uh, I hired myself at one of my clients into their open, into their open business development role. Smart. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a good move. And then, uh, after about a year in Seattle, I got an opportunity with a company called Techstars. Um, not tech, sorry. It was a company that was going through an accelerator called Techstars. It okay. was, I, I had written the business plan when I was 23 years old for my friend's company that she had ended up founding and starting and doing a Kickstarter for. And then she got into an accelerator called Techstars, which is a very prestigious. Yeah, it's um, like it's, it's like one of the second ones beeps behind <laughs> Y Combinator. Like y Combinator, yeah. Techstars, and there's a few others that are that are that are well known. And so she said, "Hey, I can pay you $1,600 a month." Uh, you can be on the founding team of the company. There's no guarantee you'll have a job in three months. <laughs> what do you say? And I and I hopped in my car and I drove 19 hours down to Boulder for the summer of 2015. And then that ended up changing my life. I worked at that company for two and a half years. Uh, that did not work out, unfortunately. We all got laid off at 1 p.m. on a Monday. And three weeks later, I founded Cheats and Giggles. And there's, but, there's yada, yada, yada in there. But, you know, it, it's, yeah. So that experience going down to Denver, working with your friend, being on a founding team, you got to see what it was like to be yes. uh, in, in the startup environment and how that worked. And how was that? Because I know startups tend to be like fast and loose and kind of like changing on a pivot at, at, at a moment's notice. Well, at that point, I had had three or four jobs in my four jobs in my first three years out of, out of college. And so I was very cognizant that I needed to, to make this work. I needed my resume to have some type of longevity on it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, people don't like job hoppers and, um, which is a, you know, a shitty anti-competitive thing. Um, but so, uh, so basically I was working my ass off. I was working 18 hour days, every seven days a week in, in the office till midnight. Um, and that was the ecosystem too. The tech stars, it, it, they give you a hundred thousand dollars for your team mm -hmm. and, and, and they put you in a room with 10 other teams for 90 days. And they say, go build things, go, go, do your thing. And basically then at the end of the 90 days, you get on stage in front of a thousand investors and you pitch your heart out. And, um, it's actually really incredible. So that, so my friend Jackie pitched that year. Um, I ended up going through tech stars with sheets and giggles in 2019 as a founder. And I got the pitch and now it's this year tomorrow, they've asked me to host demo day this year. So I'm wow. hosting tech stars demo day this year, which is a really cool honor. Anyway, I, I digress. Uh, but yeah, I was working. I worked one day. I worked 42 hours straight. I'll, wow. never, for, I'll never forget that. I had a meeting at 7 a.m. with Uber on the East Coast at 9 a.m. on the East Coast. And it was like five in the morning and I was still working. And I just decided, you know what? Let me just let me just keep going. So I made a cup of coffee. And then I had multiple meetings that day that I don't remember a single word of. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I passed out at like nine o'clock that night or something. And they got tech stars got so mad at me. They were like, they were like, we're not gonna have anybody like keel over at their desk. So you gotta <laughs> take it easy. But yeah, it was it was really illuminating to wrap the the long-winded answer about tech stars up. They bring in mentors and mm -hmm. teachers and and CEOs and founders, and it's a really terrific program for any founder who maybe doesn't they have an idea or they have an MVP product or they have a little bit of sales, but they don't really know where to go, how to scale, um, how to raise money, yeah. um, how to talk to investors. And so it was, it was incredibly illuminating for me. And so I just try to 
pass pay that forward by um, mentoring other companies as often as freely as I can. Um, so yeah. can I can I ask what kind of company did your did your friend start? Was it like in the betting sheets area, or was it completely no, out of it, that? It was, it was a, so it was not completely out of the ballpark. It was a consumer electronic, so it okay. was still it was still a consumer brand. Okay, but we we had a wearable technology product that. Um, it was similar to Fitbit, but if you pressed it, it would send out an emergency alert. So it was more of an emergency wearable. Um, you can see it as like a life alert for young people. We were Got trying it. to trying to end sexual assault was the company mission. Um, and we raised, you know, millions of dollars. We had 30 people working in downtown Denver. We were in every Brookstone store. We were in hundreds of Target stores. Um, we, you know, and, and it was interesting from an educational perspective. In 2016, we launched that product, a $100 consumer electronic at physical retail, which was uh-huh. a huge, a huge mistake because in the 2010s, that was when the landscape was shifting in real time underneath our feet in the consumer electronics world. And as someone who had, did, had no prior experience in CE or in consumer branding, um, and I, you know, I was just, this, I was the biz dev guy. I was go out make sales, go, go get retail deals. That was mm-hmm. my thing. Um, philosophically we approached, it, I think in the exact wrong way, which if I could do it all over again, which I have with sheets and giggles, I would have gone direct and Amazon only. And then over years and years and years of building brand equity, then, then, you, I, then you would have gone to target and say, yeah. Hey, let's, let's do the merchandising. Well, let's get an end cap. Well, let's. And and that's what Harry's did. That's what a bunch of these other yeah. consumer companies did. Bevel did yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ton, yeah. Yeah. So, in this now, you get laid off. It's that day, that twelve, <laughs> that that one p.m. Right. You get one laid day, off. Yeah. Are yeah. you like, are you like, what the hell? What do I do next? Or did you have this sheets and giggle idea in the back of your head a little bit? In the back of my head. So I so I remember I remember uh, that morning I got a text from my boss that just said like, hey, heads up. <laughs> I was like, "What?" <laughs> so I kind of had a feeling that uh, it was going to be, a, and you know, you you kind of know all this stuff on the background when when things are going south. And um, you know, we I I I remember it was September twenty fifth, twenty seventeen. Um, tough day, man. September twenty fifth, twenty sixteen. My favorite baseball player died, Jose Fernandez. Um, and then September 25th, 2018 actually turned it around. I won first place at Denver startup week one year from the day that I got laid off. Um, so that was a cool, uh, full circle moment for me. Um, but yeah, I, I basically, I remember I talked to my teammates, uh, yeah, you get laid off at 1 PM on a Monday. What do you do? You go get wasted. So (laughs) go go for a drink. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had, I had three hours to wrap up three years of partnerships. I made a bunch of phone calls saying, Hey, it's my last day. That was tough. And then we went to get margaritas at the Mexican, you know, joint down the street and, um, just crushed a couple pitchers. And, and then the Mar- the Marlins were in town, I'm a big baseball fan. So, so they were playing the Rockies. So we went to the game that night, kept drinking. And, um, my teammates were asking me, they were like, so what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? Cause they all had the idea that I was going to do my own thing. And I said, you know, I got this idea for a bed sheets company and it's called sheets and giggles. And they, and they were, and they, and they were like, okay, like, they, like you know, Colin, Colin's trash. Like, you know, like, and that, and that was, you know, that was honestly the, the, so I, so I got the idea you're asking me, so there's, there's so I, sorry, I, I've had too much coffee today. So there's two major things. There's the initial idea 
and then there's the why. And I don't know which which one's more interesting I, to your listeners. I, w- I would but, I would yeah. like to know why. I would that's what <laughs> in my mind I'm like, did he did you see something when you were out there biz deving that you were yeah. like, there's an opportunity here, or why did you want to go bed sheets? So basically, bed sheets is a massively fragmented commodities market. So you've got twelve billion dollar space. The top five leaders only own twenty seven percent. Um, it's highly physical retail, so you can take it online with a direct-to-consumer model, and there's zero brand differentiation or loyalty across the industry. And so mm. you, can, you can pick people off from other people pretty easily. Yeah. And so I basically looked at the business model, and, and, I, and I, this is what I did. I got fired. I wrote down on a sheet of paper, my Collins perfect business model, and I wrote massive market so I don't have to build it myself. Right, The last company, we were building a new market. Yeah. I wanted something that was highly fragmented with no market leader that I had to chip away at. I wanted something with zero brand differentiation so I could zig where everybody else was zagging. And then I wanted something that had a low complexity product, aka no Bluetooth, no firmware, no software engineers on staff. Um, and don't get me wrong, bed sheets are a pain in the ass to make. I've learned that. Um, <laughs> and, and then, but you know, and then the last piece was I wanted a sustainable product in a space where I could be proud of what I was building. And I looked at all the domains that I owned. This is a true story. I owned sheetsgiggles.com. I, I thought it would be a funny name for a bed sheets company. Um, and I ended up saying, does betting fit my criteria? And it was perfectly on the nose. And so, wow. uh, that's why I incorporated because I was so enamored with the business model. And then through my materials, uh, and research and manufacturing meetings, that's when I found the eucalyptus Lyle cell. And that's when I really fell in love, uh, with, with the space. So from idea to then getting into tech stars, how long was that? Because once you had a concept, now you're thinking, <laughs> okay, how do I go build a team and systems and actually find eucalyptus Lyle cell? Like it, I know you didn't have that in the back of your mind. How long did it take to get that from idea to yeah, timeline for listeners, because uh, this is always useful, I think, because people tend to compare themselves against others, and they're like, mm-hmm. "How am I moving fast enough, not enough, whatever it is. Timeline was initial idea in June 2017. Uh, I was watching War Dogs, and Miles Teller's character was selling bed sheets out of the back of his car, and that, <laughs> that gave me the, literally gave me the whole idea for the company. Um, and it's a long, much a longer story with the next, with the next girlfriend. I got mad at, mad at me for pause, pausing the movie to write a business model that night. Um, so, so, uh, that was the idea. Incorporation was October, 2017. That was when I got laid off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, took some time off, got my head right holidays with my family, did the logo, the website, very, very basic stuff. January, 2018 was when I started work earnestly on it. May mm-hmm. 20, May 2018 was when we um, launched on Indiegogo for a crowdfunding campaign for pre-orders, and we okay. raised three three hundred thousand dollars crowdfunded. Wow! And that was without biggest, a without a product. Without a product, that was the biggest. That was the biggest Indiegogo ever for bed sheets at the time, which is a funny qualifier, right? Like biggest ever for bed sheets. But there were two other bed sheets campaigns that launched the same day as us. Mm-hmm. One one made fifty thousand dollars, the other made fifteen thousand dollars, and we made two hundred and eighty four thousand dollars. So it was, it was a testament to the power of the brand that we had created. Um, so then we uh, shipped our first box. That was up. That was May June. Manufacturing started in um, May ish timeline. Once we got the and initial orders. when you first started, was bamboo the thing, right? It wasn't. Yes. It was okay. Got it. Then the initial idea was bamboo, and then before we launched on the crowdfund, I had done enough research and meetings to realize and recognize that bamboo viscose actually was not fully sustainable, especially with the carbon sulfide and the, and the, so I really wanted something that was truly sustainable. And that was when I pivoted to eucalyptus lyocell. That was before we launched the Indiegogo. So we was a full, fully consistent marketing story. 
And then from there, we shipped our first box in October, 2018. So about a year after I incorporated, right. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then about five, six months after our crowdfunding campaign. And then we apply the tech start that I, I won Denver startup week in September, 2018, right before we started shipping. That was when Techstars was in the audience and I was a known quantity in Denver. Like people, people knew Collins, this guy worked on this other company that was at Techstars. Now he's doing this weird thing with Sheets and Giggles. What is this? And so it was kind of like a slight buzz. And then I won Denver Startup Week and then it became Techstars asking me, hey, have you applied yet? We'd like to see your application. And then I got into Techstars January through April, 2019. And then in terms of sales timeline, we shipped our first box October, 2018. We hit our first six figure month. I want to say April, 2019. So October, 2018, April, 2019. And then we hit our first seven figure sales months in November, 2020. So two years from shipping our first box. Wow. So in Techstars, you know, granted you went, you were in it kind of before, but as an employee. As a team member. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you, you weren't, you were getting the information almost like secondhand or whatever it was. In, in a way. Yes. Yeah. The, the time where you went at it now, you're going at it as the CEO, the founder, what information did you get from that, that made a, a, a difference? Because <clears throat> most of the time you don't think of Techstars as a company that has that really is not technology driven besides a website, right? Like you're right, thinking right. heavy engineer, heavy coding, maybe an app or something like that. So um, what would, what did you learn there that was like the, different from being an employee than being a founder? So we're, we're we, you alluded to this, we're a weird bird uh, for tech stars. We're yeah. like, we're, we're not the typical tech stars company. We don't have a lot of technology. We don't have a lot of IP. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason that they, they let us in, I think was two and, and like a thousand companies apply every year and only 10 get in. So it's a very exclusive thing. And it was nice to have that vote of confidence because what I, what I pitched them on was like, look, we're a different company, but we are revenue positive. We're growing quickly. I've done Techstars before. I can be a resource to other people who are going through it. Um, mm. I'd be a good good person to have in the class. And I think that they were also intrigued by the direct-to-consumer space in general because they hadn't done a lot of direct-to-consumer investments. So it's almost like a small bet for them. And they make a lot of these bets. So it's it's just a small bet. But you're right. The buzz was like, is there a bedsheets company in Techstars? <laughs> like it was like a very weird, it was a very yeah. weird thing. And so we actually leaned into it on and as a quick aside story. So there was a space company that was also in my class called Atomos, and they mm -hmm. make nuclear-powered rockets to move satellites from wow. lower Earth orbit to geosynchronous orbit. And Vanessa is one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life, and her husband, Will, is also very brilliant. Their husband-wife founder team, uh, and they are like doing literal rocket science. And I, wow. told, I told our managing director, Natty, I said, Natty, on demo day, because you go, you get on after the next founder to do your mm -hmm. pitch in front of the thousand people in the Boulder Theater. And I said, Natty, whatever you do, do not put me behind <laughs> Vanessa and Atomos because I cannot get up there and pitch bed sheets Jeez, after, after rocket science. <laughs> and and instead, we did. He goes, you know, it would be really funny if we did exactly that. And I and I and I said, okay. So we leaned into it. So she gets up there. She's the second pitch of the night. She crushes it. Space rockets. And then I get up there and the first slide is just a picture of bed sheets. And, I'll, and the, you know, there probably 50% of the people in the audience know about sheets and giggles. 50% have no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so I just start off at very grandiose and I go, these are 
bed sheets. <laughs> and, that, and, that, and that was so funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and that was, and, 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 it, and it worked. I got to tell you, it worked to a T. Now they actually show, it's cool. It's a, it's a fun experience for me because I moved here for Techstars. It changed my life. It changed my tra- career trajectory. And now they actually show my pitch to new classes as an example of like the ideal pitch yeah. more or less like here's how Colin did it here's the formula so anyway what I learned was like uh as a founder and CEO going through it was a lot more on the fundraising side it was okay. a lot more about how to talk to investors things to say not to say I got much more close mentorship people who were more invested in spending time with me because they they like mentoring the CEO and the founder instead of you know uh, an employee and um, overall, it was the main thing I got was the borrowed validity from the Techstars brand for my little pun-based betting company. That was a big moment for us to have that borrowed validity. And then um, also, I, I hired my first two, t- two full-time employees going through the program. Okay. And I wanted them to have that same mentality, hustle, drive, and mentorship that I got as an employee at the last company I was at. So I knew how impactful it was for me, and I wanted to do it for them too. So that's that's the answer is it was it. more more than the last time so out of leaving Techstars now you pitched the investors did you get a decent amount of funding because obviously you, <laughs> you you're going with a much higher end product it's not like you're selling a bed sheet you're selling a, a more expensive bed sheet yeah, it's, good it's, 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 it's yeah. more competitive you're competitive in the landscape in a sense of pricing but it's Com- competitive with brooklyn and bowl yeah, and branch and yeah. parachute but those are the luxury brands right yeah. and so we we are we are and I think our product's better than any cotton product out there. So we are priced better than the luxury cotton items. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a higher priced item. But in terms of, you were talking about investment, like people- Yeah, did you get a decent company? amount of money um, invested? Or because I could see a, a, a tech investor being like, what, what's the point of this? Like, <laughs> I, Oh man, I, the, the amount of conversations I had where people were like, they literally would would at some point just be like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> like, like, like was, was pretty high. Like it was pretty- um, but, you know, it made sense from a business model perspective. And at some point when you're making, you know, when you're, when you're less than a year into the business and you're making $100,000, $150,000 in a month and you keep growing, at some point, the investors have to look past their own bias and look past their own, you know, background and say, okay, maybe I don't get what Colin is doing. Maybe I don't get Sheets and Giggles as a brand. But clearly, they've hit something here. They've got some lightning in a bottle with this thing. Let's put more fuel on the fire. And so, now that being said, philosophically, I don't. I think that raising money is a mistake for like nine out of ten founders. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that every venture capitalist will tell you the same thing. That like most people aren't building companies for venture scale. So when I was pitching this, I kind of took a different approach, and I never. I had a lot of people ask me, whiteboard, how you're going to get me thirty x whiteboard how you're going to get me 10x 20x in this investment and every time i would tell them i'm not going to do that i can show you the next two years reasonably of forecasts and i can show you a path to exit and i can show you you know path to profitability and if you'd be excited about a company that in its third year of business is going to make you know 10 to 20 million dollars then I We're think the company you for invest. you, yeah. right? And it's like, but but we're but I'm I never pitched this as a strikeout or home run, which is what most companies pitch as. I pitched this as like a double or a triple, and to that end, I had some people opt out and say, okay, great, I love what you're building, but it's not for for us. 
And then I had plenty of people who were like, I love that. I love the way you're phrasing it and we're in and, you know, and, and let us know how we can help beyond the, the capital. And so we had, we only raised a small amount of money. We only raised 1.25 million in summer 2019. We haven't raised a dime since then. And uh, we're, we're mostly revenue funded. There's still a small amount of burn. We've got to turn this thing profitable before long, but we're still optimizing for growth. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. And so that, that's kind of the way that I approached the investment was, was a little different than a lot of other got it. Uh, companies. So you know, there's there's kind of like a a part of it that's it's interesting, right? Because it's it's sheets. How do you scale beyond sheets? Do you then take over the entire bedroom? Do you well, take over furniture? Like, how do you go beyond that point? So yes and no. So I I have so first off, yes, we are going to come out with in, in the next year a sustainable mattress suite. Um, okay. Eucalyptus, eucalyptus base as well. Let me know um, when you got the pillows. I need a nice not, cool it, pillow. Wait, wait do you see? It's going to be real. It's going to be real nice. Um, yeah. We're, I've already got the prototype in my, in my guest room. Um, so is it but, like in the sense of purple or Casper in that kind of realm? Uh, yes and no. So they all do pur- purple is proprietary stuff. Casper is polyurethane. Um, and you know, a lot of these bed in the box companies do uh, foam, like polyurethane mm-hmm. foam. And that's, that's how you get the price of a mattress down to 250 or 400 or 500 yeah. bucks. But the thing is, people don't realize that polyurethane foam underneath you is trapping so much heat he under did. your back. Oh, Harvey, sorry, he's sca- his tail scares him sometimes. It's my, <laughs> he's, he's just sleeping behind me, scared the hell out of me. Um, and so, but so that like that bed in the box type of like mattress is not what we're building. We're gonna build a hybrid um, eucalyptus lyle cell, natural latex, um, you know, recycled steel coils. Uh, it's going to be a really, really wonderful product, a wow. little bit, a little bit higher end, but, uh, and then the main thing that I'm working on right now and taking our sweet time with is I want to ship it with zero plastic. So if you've ever gotten a bed in a box, you know, yeah. it, com- it comes with enough plastic to kill a yak Yeah. and I'm doing my bed. Like I've ordered a sustainable mattress from a, from a competitor of ours to understand how they do their, their operations and their business. And they, they tout the sustainability a lot on the website, which is great, but then you get it and it's got. Yeah, this big, There's an enormous huge. amount of single-use plastic. Yeah. And so, I'm I'm trying to do either plant-based biodegradable plastic or zero plastic. And so yeah. we're we're working on that right now. The machines that that wrap these things are built for for one type of input. Anyway, so that's the one answer in terms of like yes, you can release complementary product lines that continue to scale and grow through different verticals. Mm-hmm. But also, I have an abundance mentality, and I think a lot of people are starting to have an abundance mindset nowadays, where it's like there are so many bedrooms, so many people in this world and so many people buying bed sheets every day, every year. We've, we were coming up on a hundred thousand units shipped. Yeah. Um, and we, there, there are hundreds of millions of bedrooms in the United States alone. And so, and 38% of Americans buy new bed sheets every single year. Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's just a huge amount of, of room in this space for yeah. competition. And, and you're so, still relatively technically tiny. We're, yeah. We're, we're, relatively we're, unknown. We're yeah. Drop a drop in the bucket. If you, yeah. I mean, you can scale companies to hundred million dollar plus, uh, you know, trailing 12 month revenues with just bed sheets, comforters, duvet covers. I mean that that's what Brooklinen did, Boland Branch. There's a there's a bunch of examples of people who were able to scale um, with a very limited product suite. And so we're we're doing what we do best right now. We're scaling up to over a hundred thousand people on our customer list. Got it. And and then the plan is to strategically release 
really high quality, really high um, priced complimentary items that our customers are going to have a hand in building. We right mm-hmm. now we're send, we send out surveys. What do you want in a mattress? What do you like? And like, what, what are the things you love, you hate? That's what we did for our sheet sets, the colors, the sizes, yeah. um, the corner depth, everything was based on customer feedback. And that's how we run the business. Got it. That's really cool. Um, so, you know, one thing that I found interesting about the product, one, I love the fact that you shipped in a bag. We actually still use that bag separately, mm-hmm. um, which is really, really cool. So there was no plastic whatsoever. It was just that cardboard box yeah. that it came in. Um, but the next thing was the humor, the humor that was within the marketing of the, of the packaging and everything. And I remember speaking with Jeff Braverman. He's from nuts.com. Okay. Um, and they yeah. leaned into the humor because they know people like nuts.com, like what's that? So they, they made it more of a humor filled thing. Was that going into it, knowing that you named it sheets and giggles from the get go, you, you have to make the marketing funny? No doubt. So, so basically I, my last company, like I said, was trying to solve sexual assault and violence, which is a very lofty heavy. goal, a heavy goal. And we are, you know, our customer service emails were like very heavy all the time. And, you know, uh, working with universities on, college domestic or college assault and working with the national domestic violence hotline on, on DV. And, um, it was tough. It was like, it, you know, and it's, I, I say it was tough for me. It was tough for people going through that, but like, it is emotionally draining. If, if again, it's, if you a, have empathy, it's also, it's a tough conversation to have people right. don't really want to have it. They know it's going on, but they really don't want to talk about that. They really don't. And, yeah. and, and, and human beings are hardwired not to care about their own safety until it directly affects them because you just can't live your life being a fearful all the time. Yeah. So in any case, uh, the marketing for that company had to be very serious, per, you know, of course. And so I didn't really touch a lot of it, but when I did, they, you know, they would always say, you know, you're, you're putting, you're not being serious enough. There's just too much levity in this. And I was just trying to be positive and upbeat, but you know, they really wanted to go down the more, you know, deathly serious serious angle. And so after three years of, of needing to have very serious meetings and very serious conversations, I like, I, I got, a Seinfeld mug. Like I can, I quote SpongeBob SquarePants with my 30 year old cousin. <laughs> like I, you know, like I, I was raised on the Dan Levitard show being in South Florida when you want to talk sports. And like, I, I like to treat things as more of a circus than a cathedral. And so I loved that this space was so undeservedly serious. I mean, we're selling bed sheets. We're not curing cancer. And yet every company in the world that sells bed sheets takes this incredibly lofty, idealistic, aspirational brand voice of like, you're going to like love you. And it's always marketed to women. That's yeah. the thing is that it's aspirational, almost a condescending sense where it's like, don't you want to be the 25 year old woman in Brooklyn, like with the exposed brick apartment with like the fern in the bedroom and like the multicultural like boyfriend that's like doing like acro yoga, like in bed with her. Like that's all the subway ads for like this, this industry. And it's like, it's just, it feels very like, anyway, contrived. Yeah, yes, very contrived. very contrived. And so, and so I wanted to do something totally different visually, um, you know, copy wise, brand voice wise. Yeah. And I wanted people, cause when you talk about Facebook ads and Instagram ads, there's also a strategic piece of this is you have to get people to stop scrolling. You have to get yeah. people to stop what they're doing. And for me, I wanted to make sure that they said, what the fuck did I just see? and and stop what they were doing and, and actually give our ads the time of day so it was a very strategic decision but also f- fun for me so i could just like have a blank canvas i mean we've got pictures of 
women in the bedroom sawing two by fours in half with a circle saw yeah. just for the joke about you'll be sawing logs in no time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like no other company has their models with functioning circle saws in the bedroom. And that's, you know, so that was a, that was a risky day. My attorney, my attorneys told me not to do that, but it worked, it worked, it worked out. out. Yeah. I would, people uh, definitely stop and scroll on that. <laughs> definitely like, Whoa, what's that? <laughs> Sawdust flying everywhere. And, and you know, and so, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's been a fun, a fun brand for me. And it also gives me energy and it gives my team energy because, you know, at, at the end of the day, you are selling bed sheets on the internet. So there's yeah. two, there's two things that give us energy. There's the brand and the, and the blank canvas that we have with the brand. And the secondary thing is, uh, the good that we do in the world. So we, we also very purposefully, um, take a, a strong CSR stance. And, you know, last year we donated $40,000 to COVID-19 relief in Colorado, um, wow. we, we donated hundreds of sheet sets to homeless shelters to help them isolate symptomatic individuals yeah. from the general population. Um, we wow. planted, we plant a tree for every order. I think we passed, um, I think, I don't even know how many trees we've got now, but like 50 or 60,000. Um, and, um, yeah. How did that happen by the way? Cause that was going to be one of my questions. How did, did you big break with that relationship with the, with the farmers? Like, Hey, for every time that we it's, sell it's something, what, we're going to, we're going to give some money back in marketing for this. It's with a great organization called one tree planted. Um, okay. and, what, and what we do is I, we actually, so they have an earth day plant in Boulder every year that I, I participate in. So, so I'll be going to that this week. Um, and, uh, it's a, they basically what they do is it's a worldwide organization of people, volunteers who, who plant seedlings uh in areas that need reforestation so in Got colorado it. that means four mile canyon and boulder mm-hmm. uh in california there's plenty of places that need reforestation the pacific northwest florida uh we plant some trees in canada um but it's mostly north america and um it's a dollar per tree it takes margin directly out of every sale which is you know something that's um a conscious business decision and built into our financial model but we tally it up every year and then make a big donation to one tree planted. And um, we're part of their million tree challenge, which means that we planted over 10,000 trees at once. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really, I really love that about the brand. Um, I actually interviewed um, Chip uh, Hyman from um, the Soulful project. They do a very similar thing. They sell like a very uh, high um, end oatmeal and they give one to every homeless shelter. Love um, that. Yeah, and yeah. I actually saw their product in a homeless shelter while I was volunteering. That's so that's, cool. That's why I was. That's why I reached out because it was such a great. So I love these one-to-one models. Like you're always doing well in the world, um, and you're also doing business because I feel like you know, to rely on government to fix these problems is never going to happen. But if you go yeah. to the free market enterprise and let entrepreneurs do it, like it'll happen faster. It'll ha- it'll, well, it'll happen eventually. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on the market demand yeah, for it. Yeah. Right? It's all about that customer. Yeah. So, and so, yeah, no, we, we, I love, and I don't like to use the lofty terms of like, it's baked into our DNA, but it's baked into our business model. And yeah. like that, it, it's, it's part of a variable cost structure. And, and to me, I was very adamant about doing that from day one because I wanted to say, look, I don't know if this company is going to be successful or not or what, but if it is, um, then we'll be able to say, great. And we did a lot of good along the way. Mm-hmm. And if it isn't, and if it fails, then at least we can say, Hey, we still planted 50,000 trees. We still, you know, we still did some good in the world and that's, yeah. and that's important to me. That that's that's awesome. I love that. Um, so I'm gonna ask you some questions from the audience now, right? Um, in your story, it seems like you you weren't afraid of like 
jumping right you you wasn't you was in um, recruiting you jumped uh, to seattle a friend said hey i got a thing 1600 bucks you're like sure 1600 bucks i can live off i can that. live off of that <laughs> that was that was a miscalculation but yeah, yeah yeah right so how do you just continue to keep moving like that with without the the sense of fear it seems like you're you have like this fearless kind of mentality how did you get to that place um, well, I don't want to glorify it or make it, uh, like, uh, I feel like a lot of people have the thought process of like, I, I could never do that or I could never be get there. Um, because the fear of failure is extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like to look at things in a cost benefit analysis. I think you, you did something similar with your decision to start a business instead of going to college, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a genius CBA for people who have the wherewithal to start their own business. But for me, the CBA was, look, I'm a, and you know, I'll get, I'll get super honest here. I'm a 27 year old white dude who went to Emory university who has good experience and connections at different companies. My worst case scenario is that I'm just going to go work at Microsoft or Amazon or some, you know, some other company Mm -hmm. and then, you know, and I'll do that for the next 40 years and then I'll retire and die. Like that's my, like that. And and if that, and and if that is your worst case scenario, it's a pretty good worst case scenario and it's an extremely privileged position to have. So I don't, I don't like, I don't like saying that everyone can do it or should do it. Or like, I, I actually think that we should start building more public policy to allow more people to have that kind of like you know um gap year I, I, or something yeah like, yeah. yeah so th- to take the shot to take yeah. the chance yeah and so and, and then i figured and you know what i'll do is i'll take six months i'll i'll pay myself nothing and i'll know with and i and i set up inflection points to decide is this going to be successful or not and i said i'm going to know within six months whether or not this is a pipe dream and i got to give it up or whether or not this is something real and i've got something that I, that's worth investing in that's 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 awesome awesome like i like that what was on those inflection do you if i don't know if you could remember that like yeah, yeah. all right month two if i'm here then i keep going like what was those things well so basically it was it was all right i'm gonna go through the crowdfunding process mm-hmm. i knew i was gonna crowdfund a business so the the eventual goal was successful crowdfund and that, but for that was a hundred thousand dollars crowdfunded was success for me. Okay. And to get to there, I knew I had to do multiple things. I had to raise a little bit of seed funding from friends and family. You know, I think we raised sixty thousand dollars from six different people. Okay. So ten ten thousand dollars each, which is again a privileged thing to be able to reach out to mentor. It wasn't just friends and family; it was people I had worked with for years, yeah. mentors of mine, people who had seen me work and who believed in my my vision. Yeah. Um, and they literally and, just giving you that to say, go give it a try. Right. But I, <laughs> yeah. but I prom, but I promised them, I said, I will not spend a dime of your money until I spend all of my investment personally. And I will make sure I don't spend a dime of your money until I'm convinced that this is going to work. So the first, is this going to work inflection point was email capture. So I set up a bunch of ads. I, I shot content for $500 of the photographer I set up a bunch of ads. I set up uh, on Facebook. I set up some landing pages via Kickoff Labs, which is a great piece of software, very cheap to set up landing pages. So you did like the the lean startup model. Just go ahead and see if it works first. I I basically said, these are the best bed sheets you're ever going to own. They're made out of eucalyptus trees. They're softer. They're more breathable. They're more sustainable. The grand sheets and giggles. I had some fun with the copy. We, We had a good time. And we started those ads in February 2018. 
And the first week we ran them, I wanted to see what our email capture rate was and what our cost per lead was. And then with our cost per lead, I could extrapolate out our cost per acquisition and I could put that into our business model and see if I had something. Yeah. And we ended up capturing emails at a 35% rate that first week, wow. which was insane. That's high. High. <laughs> yeah. And, and we ended up optimizing uh, the landing page for, for different headers, different calls to action, different button placements. And we ended up capturing emails over an eight-week span. We got 11,000 emails. Uh, at a 46% capture rate. Wow. And it was crazy. It was crazy. And that's when I knew that enthusiasm. And then we had, we were sending surveys out to like 2000 people and having a thousand people take the survey out of like two, wow. like we had, we had an insanely engaged audience. And so these were the inflection points where I'm spending a thousand dollars at a time, $500 at a time, $2,000 at a time. And then you get to the point where you say, okay, I'm ready to invest $10,000 into this ad campaign because I'm, I'm confident that it's going to continue to convert. And, the, and, and just working backwards from crowdfunding, if I was going to do $100,000, and this is, might be useful for people thinking about doing crowdfunding, the way you want to do it is to get 30% of your goal on day one. And so I knew I needed $30,000 on day one, and I knew I had $100 average order value. So I needed mm -hmm. 300, 300 customers on day one. An email list reasonably converts to 3%. So therefore, if I needed 300 customers on day one, I needed 10,000 emails ten, yeah. to get 300 customers on day one and hit my goal. And that's exactly what we did. We did 11,000 emails. Email list converted to 4.5%, $45,000 day one, snowballed into a $284,000 Indiegogo. Wow. That's awesome. So you, you, so you took the kind of the... Um, the, the the approach with it but you tested before you even jumped in because you those benchmarks were more about testing than they were about actually bringing a product to market exactly yeah and then, and basically we before we went live i think we spent a grand total of ten thousand dollars uh on on prep so content videography marketing email capture and maybe been fifteen thousand dollars and then during the campaign we spent like another twenty thousand dollars on advertisements mm -hmm. but, you know you have revenue pouring at that point so we did this very lean. We actually didn't use most of the money we had raised. I think that looking back, I raised that money from, from people that I knew and trusted and who knew and trusted me to be beholden to somebody else on this journey. Because I think that if you, there's a couple of things I see early on in, in an entrepreneur's journey that are common. I don't want to call them mistakes, but like um, it doesn't become real for someone. Um, they keep thinking about it. They keep having an idea. And they don't do it yeah. because it, because they're scared about giving up their day job or about the fear of failure or what happens if I fail. And so I think that like taking that money was very important for me to make it real, to make yeah. it something that I had to do. It becomes, and, yeah. it becomes now tangible. It's tangible. You, you yeah, have a fiduciary yeah. responsibility yeah. to those people, right? Yeah. And so, and you know, the other thing is I think a lot of entrepreneurs, just from a mental health perspective, their company becomes who they are. And it's funny because I say that wearing a sheets and Google shirt in my bedroom with my product behind me, <laughs> um, you know, but, but they become their companies and they only post about their companies or they only talk about their companies. They only think, and I think that like it maximizes the fear of failure because it becomes so ingrained into your mm. personality and who you are. And I saw that happen with my friend who started this last company is after the company. And, you know, I, I love her uh, as a friend. I married her and her husband last two months ago. I officiated the wedding. And, you know, like, but I, and I, so I, from a friend perspective, I hated to see kind of the sadness 
that came from like the the way things ended yeah um because she had wrapped up a lot of her personal persona in the into in the, the company D- yeah into the dna of that so now it's like no one could see you outside of that right and and, yeah. and i think a lot of founders need to realize if a corporation fails that you haven't failed that's yeah. a corp that's a corporate entity that maybe had a flaw with the margins or the business model or the market or the product market mm-hmm. fit but it doesn't mean that you failed as a human being. And I think that a lot of people need to decouple those and, and people will be be less fearful of starting their own thing. Yeah, I, I, I personally have been on Twitter, you know, going back and forth with people about this, but like, I feel like we should have more public conversations about failure. Um, yeah. I, personally, I personally got caught up in that, right? Like my second company did great, but not as much, it did well, not as great as I wanted it to. And for me, for like a year, I felt like this big failure. And it was like, hold on, that thing is done. Like, that's not me. That's just something you were doing. It's over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think we need to have more public conversations about failure. And failure isn't you. And also, there's the amount of lessons I learned running that business is incredible, right? And well, like that's why investors love founding people that are like in their 30s and 40s and 50s is yeah. because they've failed so many times or they've learned so much from those yeah. failures that like you're, you're. I know a guy who didn't hit success until he started his ninth business. And and he ended up selling it for hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. But, but he failed eight times. Uh, yeah. But again, that. but having the energy to continue to keep on going, knowing right. that like you failed behind it. And again, each one of those failures could have just been tied to finances or something else. Like you don't know what was the reason why failure happened. Um, and each time that you go again, you learn not to do that thing that you didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I, I think about that all the time. Like even with sheets and giggles we've been relatively successful, right? Like it's, it's weird to see my company on like good morning America. I've got mad imposter syndrome mm-hmm. when it comes to this stuff. Um, it's bizarre. We just, we just won good housekeeping's top overall sheets in their March, 2021 issue, which is like, my mom sent me a picture of that. She's like, did you know you won this? I was like, now I do. That's amazing. That's incredible. <laughs> that, that type of like, um, uh, anyway, I, I was just going to say like, even with sheets and giggles, there's so many things that I would do differently mm-hmm. if I could do it all over again. Um, from something really small, like not having white packaging, because yeah. UPS, UPS and FedEx just take that and, and jump. It's like Jim Carrey in the beginning of Ace Ventura, like the box. And, and, uh, Step and, 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 you know, something as small as that and something as big as like the amount of money I raised and who from yeah. and, you know, the margins that we built into the business. And we, we, we priced our sheets at half of what the current prices are when we launched, which was a big mistake, like, you know, and pricing theory. There's all sorts yeah. of different things. But again, you would never know unless you're in it, right? Like you're right. diving in. So you can only make, you know, you touched on something there that I really want to talk about, like the imposter syndrome. How do you deal with that? Because a lot of the audience in my Telegram group, they, they talk about that. Like they'll find success. They're getting little start, little good successes starting up their companies. And then yeah. they feel like they, they it wasn't them. It's like, it's, it's luck. It's like happening for them. How did you like, how do you continue to deal with that? Cause I know every time you go up the ranks, it, it there's probably more and more of it. <laughs> well, uh, you, ah, geez. Uh, you know, I don't know. I actually, it's funny. I was on a panel for imposter syndrome, which is so funny, so funny to me <laughs> that there was a panel for imposter syndrome. It's like, we're going to get a bunch of people together who suffer from imposter syndrome, put them in front of a crowd and then have them give advice to the crowd on, and it's like the 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 irony of it and how meta it was was like oh, killing me while I was on stage. But the but so I was sitting next to a guy who was the former CEO of Craftsy in Denver, who sold their company to Comcast for hundreds of millions of dollars, 
And I was and so they went down the line, the four panelists, what does imposter syndrome mean to you? And, the, and this guy gave a really lovely, eloquent answer. And then they get to me and I said, imposter syndrome is me sitting up here on stage in front of all you next to this guy. And I was like, and I was like, that's what imposter syndrome is to me. Because I don't, I should not be up here. This is you. Somebody's made an awful mistake in having me on this panel. Um, and uh, so for me, it's like uh, I think that you have to remind yourself that it's a literal thing where it's like, despite objective evidence to the contrary, you feel like you're an imposter, and, and so you have to take the objective evidence and say, okay, our sheets won good housekeeping's best overall sheets. We didn't pay for that. We didn't. We didn't, you know, that was the thing. They, they took our sheets, they tested them in the lab against 15 other sheet sets, I think actually 40, 40 other sheet sets. And they decided that these are the best overall 94 out of 100 winner. And that was like something that we, that we just earned. Like Good Morning America reached out to us and asked us to be on the show and interviewed us wow. in November for partially because of our, our philanthropy that we had done. Right. And, and, you know, Amazon was supported that because they were the sponsor of the segment and we're an Amazon business anyway. So like the, I don't know, I think, I think I like to bring up in my own mind, the objective evidence of the contrary, the star ratings, the, the, the numbers, the, you know, and I really try to block out the, the accolades and the high fives and the, and the press and that sort of thing, because that's can, that, that's what can be, I think, poison for mm-hmm. a founder to drink is when you believe your own press. Yeah. Um, but, but it's it, hard to balance, but it's being said that the market is saying that you have the best product, right? The market <laughs> is saying that cool. you're not saying that. So that's yeah. the great part about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would say just remind yourself, just take, take a moment for the objective wins and say, look, this is something that, you know, uh, the reality is telling me is, is a yeah. good thing. Yeah. And, and, um, and also just remind yourself that like everybody suffers from it from a high level, everybody, everybody on earth is going through some level of imposter syndrome or they're wearing a mask. And I think that this is like a deeper thing that I, that I like talking about. And I don't know if it's interesting to your listeners, but like, um, have you ever, have you ever, uh, like read about like the kind of the, the way that human beings play theater with one another where, mm. <clears throat> so every day, yeah, every day you're, you're playing out a script. It's a different script. So you wake up and the initial script is the husband. And then the next script is the father. Mm-hmm. And the script after that is the business owner. Then it's the interviewer. One day it might be the interviewee after mm-hmm. you being the interviewer. And then you go to a restaurant you're the customer and the waiter is playing the role of the server. Yeah. They, ask, they ask you a question you know the answer to before it comes out of your mouth. Then you go to a sports game and you're a rabid sports fan. Then you go to your daughter's game and you're the coach. And, and so, and then you come back home and maybe you're the lover or the husband again, or the father again. Right. And so people, employee manager, and people are constantly jumping between 10, 15 of these roles every single day. And they don't even realize that they're, that they're acting out a different script when they jump from one to the other. So for me, be, starting a business and being an entrepreneur um, is its own little script, but I like I like it because it lets me like who I am with you and who I am with my investors and who I am with my girlfriend and who I am with my parents are all the same person. Yeah. Um, and I and I tend to not my my employees it drives them absolutely fucking crazy because they <laughs> sometimes sometimes they just want you know me to step into the CEO shoes yeah. and and you know lay wear down. that script and put yeah that exa- on. Yeah, exactly because yeah. they expect me to do it but I. I don't expect them to play the employee role. I don't. And so it creates conflict sometimes when you don't act out the roles and you don't do your part. 
Um, but for me, it's very freeing. And so I'd also encourage people to, you know, try to be authentic in, in everything that you do. And I know it's a buzzword, but like for us, we, we, when we put something else out there as a company, it's because it makes us laugh internally. It's been on our Slack. It's made all of us laugh. And that authenticity bleeds through and we don't try to be anything that we're not. And I, and people hire people who are like themselves. So I've got a bunch of little mini Collins running around, yeah. which is a nightmare. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I learned that. I learned that in my second business, I was hiring a lot of me's and I was like, this isn't good. Like, you're, you're like, I'm, I'm, some- I'm a terrible employee. Like, this is awful. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I need, I need soldiers, man. Yeah. I don't I need. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I literally had to get rid of my, like my first two teams and rebuild a whole new team that were, there were sprinkles of me in there, but they were way more administrative, better, it's, better it's people. So true. Than it's like so, it's, you, and you've got to be cognizant of it because like you, I look around, I've got a group of people that are so hostile to 9 a.m. meetings. I cannot get them on the phone before 10 a.m. I can't get that like, like, and they'll work till seven or eight at night, you know, like yeah. they'll, or they'll, they'll log on at midnight and send some email. Like they're, they're just like me. And, and it drives me crazy because sometimes I just want to be like, I'm the CEO, God damn it. And like, I want to have a meeting and they're always like, why? No, why? No. Like, it's just, it's just don't like, question me. You're my say, employee. Put the employee yeah, hat on. God damn it. Put the employee hat on. Yeah, exactly. I, so, you know, and I, and I'm, I, I love it though, man. It's, it's a good way to live life. And, and I, I think that like the, the thing, the really crazy thing for me that, you know, you, you don't, I, I don't think that you fully understand it from a, because you started your own company at 18 and I don't, I don't fully understand it anymore because I've worked at my own company longer than I've ever worked anywhere else. People will act as the employee for like 50 years mm-hmm. for like their whole life. They will wake up and that's why people hate commuting because they're dreading putting on the hat. The hat. Yeah, yeah. They're dreading like changing their entire persona for a full half of their waking hours every day. Yeah. And so I think that like the beauty of entrepreneurship is it lets you break. That's why people always, they quote the freedom, they quote the, the, whether it's the lifestyle or whatever, you know, and it's not glamorous in a lot. Like I'm, you know, I'm up working till four or five in the morning, some, some nights and like, and you know, the difference is you get to be you and live within your own thing and do your own thing. That's why I even tell people like, it's sometimes I, I, you know, people always like scale and grow. And sometimes it's like, dude, if you could do a business that makes you 80 grand a year and you're happy and, it, you, and you could free. be, you, you're, you're free. free. Exactly. You're free. And I'd yeah. rather you build a micro business than try to go and scale something that you're not really ready for either. Um, so my I tell goal, people my that. Goal, yeah. Sorry. I, I, my goal was $3,000 a month. That was my goal. Yeah. Rent, rent, food, and some <laughs> borderline <laughs> emergency healthcare plan. Like that was, that was my goal my, because I said, if I can make $3,000 a month, I can live off of that. I know I can. I don't have a family. It's, a, it's also a privilege. Like I'm young. I don't have a mortgage and I can tell everybody to go F themselves. Because like, yeah. be my, be my, you, when you get laid off at 1 p.m. on a Monday and then Cobra is like, would you like to continue paying for your health care access like, no. for 10x what you were just paying? It's like, oh, my God. You're like, the, no. The, 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 the systems that we built are just, just so screwed up. Screwed. Yeah. That's a whole so, that's a whole, a whole podcast. other podcast. Yeah. But, but so but so I, you know, basically um, I you get you get tired of losing your health care. Suddenly I've been fired three times in my career. And um, you get tired of of losing based on other people's decisions. And so. Um, you know, you get a chip on your shoulder and you, and you decide I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is, but it's also like a very freeing decision because we, when you do the math and you realize like, 
yeah, you know, like I don't need to make that much money to, to be free and be happy because you're, you're, you're talking about quality of life. When yeah. The last thing you're talking about is like, what's the marginal difference in quality of life at, you know, 50, 75, a hundred, 150, mm-hmm. $200,000 a year. Well, depending, it's depending on where you live. It's depending on your, your, your state taxes. It depends on how much you take home, your disposable income depends on your family and your needs. But at some level you reach an escape velocity on I'm now free and I yeah. don't need to wait. And, and I, and I think about things a lot in terms of like, I try to, I try to like give different phrasing to things. So instead of paycheck, it's like a survival check. check it's yeah. your, your, your food check, your water check, check your yeah. healthcare check, your, your mortgage check. Like, uh, man, I, it's, it's and so heavy. When, yeah. when you take a deep dive at it, whatever really? your whatever your lifestyle is whatever that is right it's really not that much money right like it's really because when, when people are like dreading going through traffic they got to eat this crappy lunch they don't want to eat right and you're like hold on how much you get paid every two weeks like two grand or like you're yeah, like hold on yeah if you could make four grand a month you could live the way you want to live you know and and people this abundance mindset that's why you you're doing a podcast i think is brilliant um, I think, I think a newsletter is also a wonderful way mm-hmm. to have that abundance mindset of, and I talked to, I talked to my, my friends about this a lot. People ask me to do a newsletter. I've got posts on Reddit that are like super popular that have mm-hmm. been upvoted a lot. And like I, people ask me to do a newsletter and I think, well, I mean, if I could get 10 people or sorry, not 10 people, a hundred people to pay me 10 bucks a month, then I get a thousand dollars a month. If I can get a thousand people to pay me 10 bucks a month. $10,000 a month. month yeah. And in out of the 8 billion people in this world, are there a thousand people that would pay me 10 bucks a month for me for to sure. take them through my lessons that I've learned while starting this business? For sure. Probably. Yeah. Right. And, but now that being said, there's a, you know, there's a different debate of opportunity cost of time working on sheets and giggles versus working on this other thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think about that all the time for like, and, and the, the question for every entrepreneur should be, in my opinion, how can I get the three or 4,000 bucks a month in free flow income? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and if you can get there by doing cleaning service like you've done, yeah. or if you can get there by doing, uh, you know, I, I, I thought about when I was doing certain sheets of giggles, I thought about sunglasses, furniture. I thought about a house painting service. <laughs> I thought about lawn yeah. mowing. I also I, tell people a, a lot of times, you know, cause I coach people as well. A lot of times there's a service that you're already doing at your job, right? right. Your job that you're doing, you're getting paid for a service. You right. can literally take that and you know, there's a somewhere on the internet you can do it. So if you're an admin, maybe you could be a virtual assistant for a couple yes. of hours. My, you know? I, I have a virtual admin and yeah. she, and because she has five different clients who all pay her for 10 to 20 hours a week. Yeah. She, she's working, you know, 50 to 60 hours a week for these five different clients, but she's doing it but from her home cru- and she's yeah. doing it from her home and she's crushing it. And she, and she doesn't have, you know, the employer yeah. employee bullshit. Yeah, exactly. And you know, so usually whatever you're doing at work is already the service you probably could provide. Maybe you don't love it, but that's a great way to just to break free of that work thing and then go from there. Like there's a girl that I work with, she's like super organized. She, so I told her, I was like, why don't you start an organized, company um yeah. i was coaching her and she was like how do i do that and i'm like all right here's the research so gave her a whole bunch of websites she she started and she put herself on thumbtack and she got one client Dude, yes two clients and then now she's like i don't think i need to go back to work anymore i'm like exactly exactly, and it, exactly yeah and you and, already and, and, have that in you she was already an organized person so just doing it for somebody else is the every, point. every year at thanksgiving my family would go around we say what are, what are you most thankful for in the last few years i've said the same thing which is i am so thankful 
for all the people who have come before me, who have mm -hmm. built the ecosystem that allowed me to start a company. Um, and and it is, it's 2021, 20, really the 2010s, 2020s, they're simultaneously the hardest time to ever start a business because of the competition. And the easiest. they are the easiest time to ever start a business because of all the software platforms, tools, yeah. and research that's out there for you to start your own company. I mean, think about 10, 15 years ago, she, Thumbtack, like, like yeah. Yelp, like, like you can't, like, there's nothing. Google so, like, my business like, is yeah, free. Google, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so, and so like for me, it's Shopify. Yeah. And it's, it's the, it's the, the platforms that are built on top of Shopify. It's, it's Instagram, it's yeah. Facebook, it's, you know, it's, you know, Google and Amazon. It's, it's unbelievable. The tools that now, and you, now you've got a lot more people that are of course taking advantage of them. So the competition goes through the roof. But, that, but again, what do you need to survive your survival check, right? Exactly, do you just need yeah. four grand? What do you need? You know, so and, yeah. and, then, and then maybe, out. and then maybe, you know, I look, she's and giggles. I caught tiger by the tail. Like that's the way I always think about it. Like my, my dad always says tiger by the tail. And I, and I feel like I'm holding on for dear life sometimes, you know, like we've, we've hired a bunch of people and we've scaled the business and um, it was never, it was never, if you told me, so two years before we hit our first $1 million month in November, 2020. And before that, we, uh, two years before that, I was in a warehouse by myself at 10 PM with a thousand square feet of space, unloading pallets, packing boxes <laughs> and shipping out our pre-orders, listening to my podcast by myself. Like, and then two years later, like a million dollars of bed sheets is a lot of fucking bed sheets. Yeah. And to do that in a month was like mind numbing to me. And it always, it continues to be mind numbing and the, you know, wiring a quarter million dollars never gets easier. Like why, like that's the thing is like, I, I love poker. Mm -hmm. you never play at the world series of poker because no matter how big the chip stacks get, it would sicken me to bet $10,000 on a, <laughs> on a single hand. And I, and I, and I feel like that mentality has also helped the company a little bit because it helps me keep things more centered, so, yeah. more focused. Like we don't take, massive bets on certain things we, we do a lot of little bets a lot of sure bets and um i don't let my eyes get too big for my stomach and i like to remember that you know it's a marathon not a sprint and, yeah um and this is what i do now and um it's been a it's just been a real a real i don't want to say keep saying privilege but i just feel real lucky and and happy and it's you know it's yeah. uh it, there are some days that are total grinds and you don't want to get out of bed but then uh, other days, it's like it's like the best thing ever. Um, exactly. I could talk to you forever, so I'm gonna get it down More to last. The, the yeah, 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 last yeah. last three questions, right? Okay. So, um, there's a lot of people right now that listen to this. They they they're riddled with fear. They're sitting in a cubicle. They hate the job they go in, they go to every day. Um, but they're afraid to make that decision. They might not want to take that sixteen hundred dollars and move to Denver. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Or they, they can't, which is fair. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's it's, it's <laughs> what not advice? Timing. Yeah. yeah. What advice would you give that person who's sitting in a cubicle, dying a slow death, um, hating, every, you know, <laughs> what they're doing? <laughs> First off, it's uh, so uh, I, I showed my girlfriend office space the other day. She had never seen it. Um, I'm 30. She's 26. There's like a mild like difference. age difference, yeah. but like never seen office space. I was like, get out of here. Like, what are you, what are you <laughs> didn't, didn't come out in the 80s. Like, it's like, you know, it's an so, early 90s movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I think about office space all the time of like, um, that no movie has ever captured the soul draining aspect of like a job that you dislike. Mm -hmm. And and honestly, like if you like your work, then that's great. I, I tend to think that people don't leave jobs, they leave managers. 
I think a lot of people listening to this will resonate with, you know, I like my work, but I fucking hate the people I do it with. And, and like, and like, and, and, yeah. and it's, and that's not to say that everybody's coworkers are awful. There's usually one or two people that make life a living hell for everybody in their office. But like, it's more about um, the people that you work with impact your quality of life and your mental health so much. Mm-hmm. You're spending so much time with them on a daily, weekly, monthly basis for years. And so I really like the idea of thinking about starting your own company as a chance to build your own group of people that you'll spend find your tribe yeah. find your tribe you spend your life with and so i i would just encourage people to do the cba that you and i have done where it's like you know what's the risk what's the reward Mm -hmm. if i if i quit if i quit my job can i reasonably get another job uh pretty quickly um and if i can um then you know uh then what's the risk of taking three to six months to do it. Well, it's three to six months of lost wages. It's three to six months of lost 401k contributions. It's three to six months of lost, um, you know, career development. But if you are pretty certain that you can survive for three to six months on your savings, and you're pretty certain that you can get another job in your, in your current career over the course of a 40 year time scale in your career, those three to six months are are kind of meaningless yeah. and, 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 and you'll still be doing the same thing you would have been doing for the next 10, 20 years of your life. Or if you take the shot and you set up the inflection points for knowing if this is going to work or if it isn't, if I'm going to have to keep doing it or cut and run, then you'll know within three months and you might end up changing the trajectory of your life. Like you might end up there's, there's, the, the risk for some people is so low and the reward is so, so high, high. Yeah. That, that it makes complete sense to take the shot and try it. And if it doesn't work out, you just go, just, you know, go do the thing you're doing. Yeah. You know, and like, be miserable doing that. It's fine. Yeah. But, 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 then, but then at least, you know, no, and you then, took and the then, chance. Yeah. And then if you fail, then maybe two years from now, you save up some more money and you take that failing and that learning. And you start something else. Yeah. Um, and then I also think that like people have more time than they realize. Some people don't, but like some people, I should say, with kids don't. Um, but like you know, like it, kids are the big, the big uh, question mark. I think in a lot of this. I hear that. I have three kids. It does sometimes get confusing and tricky. But you, what kids will do, they make you have more of a regimented schedule. Yeah, yeah. That's what I hear. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Their schedule is very regimented. So you have to get as, you know, my mom used to say this to me. She's like, when you're older, you're going to crave discipline right now. You you hate it. Right. But the older I get, the more and more, I want to know what time is this, where I'm going to be now. I live on my calendar because I need that schedule. You're not, you're out. not, I, there are some days where I'll burn three hours. <laughs> like you're, 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 not, you're I, know. Yeah, I don't have that luxury. luxury. All the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but I think also like the side hustle thing rings true for me. I think a lot of people can have, 10 or 20 hours a week that they put into mm-hmm. a side hustle. And really, if you're doing 10 or 20 hours of work for yourself, it's going to feel like nothing. It's great to work for yourself. Um, so I'd also recommend potentially dipping your toes into the side hustle too. Yeah. And then there's so many platforms to help do that. So no matter what you're doing, yeah, it's a great tip. No matter what you're doing, there's a platform that can actually help accelerate that. If you want to uh-huh. start a cleaning company, there's Handy. If you want you know, there's so and many Handy, things. Handy, Thumbtack, Google yeah. My Business, yes. uh, uh, Hire a Helper. Yeah. Like there's, there's so if you're If things. you make stuff like there's Etsy, there's Amazon Handmade. There's so many things that you can so do. Many um, 
the last two questions Def. um how has entrepreneurship changed your life for the better and for the worse let's start with the worst first <laughs> uh, <laughs> well this is the stuff i like this is the stuff i like talking about the most and so you have to keep me brief but uh uh, for the worst, I, I've lost multiple relationships uh, mm-hmm. starting starting my businesses. Um, that's that's a whole nother podcast, but that's a whole no nother, no one talks about that relationship stuff. It's it tough. Is, you know, I've I've had I've had multiple women tell me, you know, uh, I feel like you love your business more than me, and there's a part of that that's true because like. <laughs> You're like well there's a part of me that's like dude we've been dating for like four months like obviously of course like yeah. of course like, like and then also shit. too i have people that depend on me that's people right like it's paychecks. like yeah, yeah yeah like like you know what i mean and then but then you know my current girlfriend is inc- is so supportive and understanding but also like she's also the first person that i've ever dated that i feel like i'm gonna spend the rest of my life with so like you you i will say that like priorities do become clear when you feel that way about someone which is the first time i've ever really felt that um, so that's the most negative piece is that, that heartbreak and, and emotional trauma. Um, the, you know, you have to kind of be selfish as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, I gained 30 pounds when I started the company, like, you know, you sleep four or five hours a night, you wake up with your laptop on your stomach, you start mm-hmm. working again, you know, you're drinking tons of caffeine, you're fucking your kidneys. Um, there's, the, I, and I don't like glamorizing it. I know H is for hustle. Uh, look, hard work's a good thing. It's a virtue. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, it's why human civilization has, you know, reached the heights that it's reached is that you 8 billion people working their ass off every single day. It's crazy. But the, but the thing that I'll, I'll say is that like, it's not fun and it's not in the beginning, it's not glamorous. Like, it's just like a total grind. And I don't like the constant, like I work so hard, like, you know, circle jerk that goes on in the startup ecosystem um and i'd rather yeah because working hard i mean i like the word hustle because hustle means just work ethic for me and that just gives you an opportunity to just out you can work hard enough to put yourself in an opportunity that's good right but sometimes you can just also be hustling in the wrong direction and putting yourself backwards as well in a circle yeah yeah and and, and, and i but i also just don't like i I feel like there's a subset of people on twitter that are <laughs> that are like very much in it for the virtue signaling of like I'm a I'm a hard worker yeah and, I, and like I I get shit done or whatever yeah team and no sleep and all that stupid team, stuff man I I don't have time to, to tweet very much like I don't you know like I don't post on I post on Instagram once a month once every two months like the people that post you know and and I know that there's an aspect of it like now now for sheets and giggles we post every day that's yeah, yeah. the business right it's a brand yeah but like but uh, yeah anyway I so I don't think so and then the best thing the best thing has been um the lifestyle uh in in the sense of like I'm not like I'm not rich I I didn't pay myself a salary for 18 months mm. um I went without health care for four or five months uh I I paid myself 40 grand for the first year that I cut myself a paycheck um and I, you know, I, re- I don't invest in my salary, I invest in the company. And so it's not the I'm not like going on boats and like, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm from South Florida. So I do occasionally go home and see my family and go on a boat. But like, yeah, you're not <clears throat> digging the yacht and the Lambo yeah, out for, exactly, yeah, for the weekend. I'm not, I'm the light, when, I, when I say lifestyle, I mean, if it's Wednesday, and it's 9am, and I'm just not feeling it. I just go back to bed to like 11 and I'm just like, I am, I'm out of it and I'm not going to deal with it. And then if it's a Saturday and I'm free, I'll work all day. And, and, and then if it's, you know, like 
the the flexibility of the lifestyle is what yeah. I love the most, and I, I don't have to ask for time off. Yeah, and if you if want. you're like, hey, I want to go fishing with my buddies today, like I just do it. Send, just send an email, and it's yeah, like, exactly. hey guys, I'm gonna be away. And 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 then and I and I extend that same privilege to my team. I say, don't ask for time off. Just say on Slack when you're taking it. Mm-hmm. And and everybody, we have an out of office channel, and I'm out of out of office these days, taking off these days. Da, da, da. And I love that because I remember, I remember very viscerally when I was 22 years old, I, I had to ask for time off for, when I was at my, at the hedge fund at Bridgewater, I asked my manager, I said, Hey, I want to see my family for Christmas. I want to fly back home to Florida. Um, can I take off the 23rd through the 26th? And we had the 24th, 25th off, of course. And he said, no, I need you here on the 23rd and I need you here on the 26th. And I said, so you're saying I can take off the 24th and the 25th but then you need me here on Friday the 26th. And he was like, yeah. And I said, really? Like I, I, I could, like, I could, I, I could not believe <laughs> what I was hearing. And, 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 and as a, as a 22 year old at the world's largest hedge fund, my boss was like, yeah, that's what I'm fucking saying. Now get the fuck out of my office. Like, and I was like, okay, like, I can like, see and, why you yeah. got fired. Yeah. Like, like, but, but like, it was, it was shocking from like a humanitarian perspective of like, I like this kid, wants to go see his family for a few days during the during christmas like you know so he's I mean? like literally fly home the 24th fly home the, the, the <laughs> night at midnight on the 23rd see your family and get your ass back here Thank in you. time for 7 a.m on the 26th <laughs> that's, that's crazy you, which like and so that is like the best thing about entrepreneurship and i extend it to all my team and no one you take days off you can sick days mental days unlimited whatever whenever just send it on slack that's yeah it. there's no permissions that's awesome um Last question, you know, the podcast is called H for Hustle. What does hustle mean to you? Uh, hustle to me means if you work 12 hours a day for a year, you will work 50%, you will get 50% more done than the person who's working eight hours mm-hmm. for a year. And if you're in a competitive space, if you can keep that up for, for if you can sprint for quite a while, um, I think about things in 90 day sprints. I tend to think about quarters is 90 day sprints if you can do that for quite a while within two years you'll have a whole extra year of work versus the competition that's doing eight hours a day Mm -hmm. and it's not sustainable long term but that's the competitive edge of a startup is is that hustle and um i don't expect it of my team because they don't have as much equity in the business they do have equity but not not you know as much as i do they don't have the same upside. So I don't, I don't ask that of them, but early on you do want people on your team and you know, you should reward them with equity and with, and with other, other items too, who get that, that type of like, man, if you're doing 12, 14 hours a day in six months, you're going to do basically a year's worth of work that somebody else is. And, and again, it's not sustainable, but that's what hustle means to me is out competing the other guy on the one thing you can control, which is the amount of hours you're putting into the business. Thank you. That's awesome. I'm never going to add anything to that. Now, <laughs> if anyone wants to, you know, find your sheets, buy your sheets, I recommend them highly. I'm a, I'm a proud, proud customer. I, did, I, didn't, I didn't even, even... <laughs> pay him to say that. I didn't even, I did, no affiliate links no, or anything. He's just no, a no, customer no. who asked me to be on the show. That's it. Trust me. Um, I, my wife bought it in there. I had no idea. And it was, it's an amazing product. Thank you. Um, we ended up buying, she ended up buying another one not so long ago, maybe 
two months ago. Anyway, she changes the sheets. I don't really think about it. But when it, Ma- whenever Ma- the Mother's Mother's Day sale coming up, you guys should get another. You get, oh. I mean, they're great gifts. I'm yeah. telling you. It's, yeah, yeah you so know, yeah. I'll probably gift it to my own mom. That's it's a thank great you. Gift. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. again, if people want to find your product, where can they go to find it? If they need to reach out to you, they want to speak to you, they want a little bit more advice. How can they get in contact with you? Me personally. I'm on LinkedIn, Colin McIntosh, Sheets of Giggles, really easy to find. Sheets of Giggles, Colin, you'll, you'll find me. Um, uh, the company, SheetsGiggles.com. So there's no and in the URL, just SheetsGiggles.com. And then my favorite thing is that we own Amazon.com slash Sheets. <laughs> nice. So there are all the different places you can find it. And then we're on Instagram, Sheets and Giggles, you'll find us. So Got it. Awesome. Thank you so much for being in the show. Thank you so much for dropping so much knowledge. I will also link up the description to everywhere you can find Colin and also where you can find Sheets and Giggles. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. No, Drum, thanks for having me. And uh, this is an awesome podcast. I hope it was valuable for some people out there. And uh, I think it's funny you said you do this for about 45 minutes. And we just went on for about an hour and a half. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, I, hope, I, hope, I hope the audience stayed tuned. So thanks, <laughs> thanks again, man. This is awesome. All right, take care. And just like that, another illustrious episode is in the can. Man, what an episode. After leaving this interview, I felt so pumped and so motivated. And I had so many notes that I written down from talking to Colin. And man, just I just learned a ton. I would love to know what you guys learned. What was the big takeaway that you got from this podcast? Hit me up on social media. All the links to everywhere you can contact us is in the description. LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, hit us up. I would love to know what your feedback is on this podcast. That's all I got, guys. I'm going to leave you with the quote from the late, great Nipsey Hussle. The quote goes, this game will test you. Never fold. Stay 10 toes down because it's not on you. It's in you. And what's in you, they can't take away. That's it, guys. Peace. Boom. Boom.